Happy Sunday, you beautiful people. This is a very special bonus episode of the Lifestylist Podcast where I am interviewed by Lori Harder, an amazing woman who's the founder of The Bliss Project and host of Earn Your Happy, which you're about to hear. Each episode of Earn Your Happy is designed to give her listeners the tools, ideas, and inspiration they need to take action. So I was super grateful to be a guest on the show uh, quite a while ago. This is from a few months ago, and um, a lot's changed since then. But one thing that hasn't changed is my passion for business and entrepreneurship. And it was a great opportunity to share some of my insights with Lori and her audience. And now with you, here's what we talk about in this conversation. My diverse and crazy background in music, fashion, public speaking, and now finally into health and wellness and how it led me to where I am in my career now. And then the balance between identifying what your talents are and what your passions are and having the humility sometimes to admit that those aren't the same. (laughs) You don't have those to the same degree. How I got my start in fashion styling and some advice for people that want to enter into the world of freelancing, uh, living in different purposes throughout your life. So you think you found your purpose and then you find more, which is what I'm currently doing now. The human need for significance and finding your own interpretation of humility integrating the ego with your endeavors in work, not attaching worth to your gifts, self-worth that is, the importance of staying teachable, the pursuit of pleasure in a healthy sense, and how I am finally getting clear on who I am and what I have to offer the world, which is uh, the reason I'm putting out this very podcast. And then we close with uh, my gratitude practice which is a huge part of my life. And I hope something that if you're not doing now, you'll do after you hear this interview. So enjoy this bonus episode of the podcast. We will be back, of course, with our regular programming on Tuesday, where I interview one of my all-time favorite guests and human beings, Mr. John Gray. That episode's called Higher Powered Autobiography of a Sex and Love Yogi. And it is a doozy. I recorded that in London and spent about two and a half hours um, basically just hearing John's incredible life story of being the personal assistant to the Maharishi and all of his different consciousness exploration and different meditations. And, you know, obviously um, how that relates to sex and his journey through the world of tantric and all of this stuff. So definitely make sure you check out Tuesday's episode with John Gray. First off, I want to invite you to a couple outstanding events at which I will be participating in the very near future. First up, we've got a tune taking place near Atlanta, Georgia, where I'll be joining Joe Dispenza, Gabby Bernstein, Shaman Durek, Light Watkins, John Wineland, Sahara Rose, and a grip of other enlightened souls for three days of mayhem out in the woods. You can find your tickets at lukestory.com forward slash events. The following weekend, I'll be back in Malibu, California for one of my very favorite yearly festivals known as Mercado Sagrado which is taking place November 16th and 17th. You can also find your tickets for Mercado Sagrado at lukestory.com forward slash events. I can't wait to see you at both of those. Thanks so much for listening. Share this one with a friend. Uh, I'm sure Lori would be happy to get some new listeners and so would I. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Lori. I'm super stoked. It's great to talk to a uh, podcaster who has their audio sorted out. Your voice sounds beautiful and crystal clear here in my studio. So it's a treat. Oh, I love that. And you know what? I'm just going to say a quick prayer to the Skype gods that they are just good to me today. So, <laughs> right, right. Because <laughs> you can that... have everything on point, right? And then all of a sudden you can be like, what is happening? 
Totally. Well, you know, what's funny is right before our scheduled time, uh, I got one of those notifications from Apple on my iMac, which is my, my normal like recording computer. And uh, I was like, oh, you're due for an update. I thought, oh, that's great. I'll update it right now. So everything's like fresh for this recording in case there's any bugs with any software. And then I clicked the restart thing and it was like, you have 36 minutes remaining. And it was 15 minutes before a call. So I, I jumped on my laptop. It all seems to be working. So you know how that goes. I, so I recently just had that happen where I had, and everyone can probably relate on here. Like I accidentally set my computer to auto update, like whenever you kind of shut it down or whatever. So I go back on for podcasts and it's like, if we can really show the other side of what the podcasting world looks like, it's sheer panic five minutes before. Oh, every time my friends always do. I mean, I do a lot of I do a lot of my shows live, but my, I'll have, you know, I'll like recruit my homies sometimes to help me out. And one friend in particular, he's like, he's like, dude, if people only knew what a neurotic basket case you are right before every recording. And then the minute the mic comes on, you sound like this super Zen, chill, articulate guy. I mean, this is according to his, his, um, analysis, but he's like, God, you're such a freak. And I'm always just so astonished at how you can pull it together once, you know, you click record. I, I guess that's kind of the magic of it. It is that you couldn't have described over at our house because my husband has a podcast too. So it's extra neurotic. And <laughs> <laughs> it's like the mom syndrome, you know, when your mom would be yelling at you when you're little and she's like, yeah, little, and then answers the phone and is like, hello. Oh, right, hi. right. And I'm like, that is so fake. <laughs> That's hilarious. Wow. Oh, man. Okay. Well, amazing. So we're in the same world right now. All right. Absolutely. So I would love for people to know a little bit more about you because you have such an interesting, diverse past. And that is, you know, probably what makes what you're doing now even more fun in your life. So if you could share a little bit about your past and what kind of brought you into doing what you're doing. I know you're doing a few, a few things and you have an epic podcast. Um, so I would love to hear your backstory. Sure. Well, you know, it's, it is a funny story and it's, I guess it's a classic hero's journey, but I'm, I tell it a lot now as, as I'm a guest on a number of different podcasts these days. And I'm always trying to refine that into, you know, a digestible soundbite, but I'm 47, you know, and it's been like a really, it's been a really wild journey. So it's like, I always think, well, is this a two hour podcast yeah. or a 30 minute podcast? Yours is a little shorter. So I'm, I'm thinking of how I can sort of summarize that. Well, you know, now what I do is I work in the health, I'll sort of it reverse engineer. I work in the health and wellness industry. I have my podcast, as you said, the lifestylist and, uh, you know, I do speaking engagements and coaching and all of this kind of stuff. And I've been into all of this spirituality and health and wellness and all this stuff for over 20 years now. And then also worked in the fashion industry for 17 of those years as a fashion stylist. And 10 years ago, I started a school called the School of Style, and we train people how to become a fashion stylist or a personal stylist. So for the past 20 years or so, I've been kind of walking between these two worlds of the fashion and entertainment industry here in LA, and then just privately doing the health and wellness thing just for my own sanity and well-being and recovery. And then two years ago, decided to turn that into an actual career. So at 45 years old, I was like, hmm, I'm not really down with running around town looking for the perfect stiletto for 12 hours a day <laughs> anymore. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, God bless the career and Hollywood and all that, but it just, it wasn't really like serving my heart anymore. So now I'm doing this, but really what motivated me in the beginning was one of the two main human motivations. And that was the avoidance of pain. And um, I just happened to be so situated in this lifetime and this incarnation as someone who experienced a lot of trauma early on as a kid. And, uh, and I 
of course, sought out relief from that. And for the early part of my, well, I guess the later part of my adolescence into my teen years and into my mid twenties, I just was an absolute drug addict, fanatic, uh, maniac, and uh, <laughs> and sought out, you know, chemical means by which to to ease the pain and discomfort that I felt. I just felt really uncomfortable in my skin. And so, around the time of my mid twenties, I was living in Hollywood and playing in bands and kind of living that early nineties thug life. And uh, it just got super. It just got super dark. I mean, it's it's a cliche story, and there's a lot of gory details to it. Uh, but my journey was that uh, in the last couple of years, when I was really starting to hit the skids and just lose my shit, I uh, I started getting into health and stuff like that. And I would, I mean, even when I was a little kid, actually, my mom used to make me take handfuls of vitamins when I was like five years old. So we always shopped at the health food store, and I I remember being like this crazy drug addict running amok on the streets of Hollywood. And I was the only one of my friends that would still go get a wheatgrass the next day. And like, you know, it's like, (laughs) you know, and I was like studying some Eastern mysticism and, you know, burning incense at least in between burning copious amounts of illicit drugs. And (laughs) it was kind of sets each other, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. My friends would always clown on me like, dude, you're like a full-blown junkie. Why do you bother getting a healthy smoothie every day? And I'm like, well, I'm trying to balance it out. you know. So I had begun to sort of tip my toe in the water because I knew that I was about to... It's like in the cartoons when there's the heroes in a, in, in a canoe and they're about to go over a huge waterfall and die. Mm. I had that feeling for about five years and it just kept getting closer and closer and closer. So I started to try to work on myself in a haphazard sort of way. And, uh, and it didn't really work until I finally just hit this huge wall of surrender and just shame and self-loathing and just, oh God, just the ugliest internal place in my life. And not like I was really on fire professionally with music or anything like that at, at that point, but it wasn't like one of those things where, oh, I got stabbed in an alley by a drug dealer, ended up in prison or, you know, had my girlfriend OD or OD'd myself or something like that. It was just a general, like deep seated (laughs) suicidal hopelessness that I kind of fell into. And so I finally kind of surrendered and started to, you know, check myself into treatment and did all that and started to really earnestly, um, and with a lot of dedication, just pursue my spiritual growth. At first, as I said, just a means by which to survive. And then over the years, as I sort of got out of myself and got out of some of that immediate drama, uh, started to find some relief and find all of these different practices on the physical plane and also on the metaphysical plane and started sharing that with people. And then I've continued to do that privately for the past 20 plus years until, as I said, a couple of years ago, uh, just as, as we were talking about, you know, I'm just a huge podcast fan. Mm-hmm. I've been listening to, at first it was like audio tape sets back in the day of, yep. I don't know, Wayne Dyer, you know, whoever, just, uh, Deepak Chopra, these guys like that. Whoever had a tape in like the, yeah, yeah. And then really it was small. <laughs> yeah. And then it was, and then it was CDs and then MP3s and then podcasts. So I thought, well, how can I share some of this information? And, you know, the first thing that came to me was of course, what I could be most consistent with in terms of content understanding to a degree how content marketing works from having school of style for 10 years, I decided to do my podcast. And now it's just sort of taken off and I've emerged somewhat suddenly into this scene, which is maybe why you're like, wow, this, this dude's like appearing everywhere. All of a sudden I've never heard of this guy. I actually hear that a lot because I'm, I'm really relatively unknown in the world of health and spirituality and all that. But 
I kind of hit with a bang because I was, um, I had an arsenal of experience and knowledge sort of built up privately. Mm. And now I'm like, honestly, of course, there's always, you know, you have your pain points of growth and we're always working through things, but it's like the first time in my life, Lori, that I really, really feel like I'm living according to my highest good and to my purpose, which is to share all of these crazy things that I've found that improve your life. So it's just, I'm having a really, really good time being able to contribute something positive and meaningful to society. It's just, it's epic to be able to do what I do and, you know, actually kind of have a career at it now. Oh, what an amazing story. And if I had more time, I would need to really dive into each little section there. Um, (laughs) I know it's, it's hard to, it's hard to like skim over some of those because some of them are also just like, I have so many crazy stories that now are, you know, kind of normal to me, but I, I'm on a lot of podcasts these days. And sometimes people will like, tell me some gory details. And it's like, I have such a weird life, but, um, you know, there are other opportunities to delve deeper into different parts, but, um, in the interest of time, I think that kind of sums up the journey. Mm-hmm. So, far. Mm-hmm. so what I want to, what I want to ask you about is you said at the very end there, you know, now you're, you're living, like, it's the first time that you actually feel like you are living according to why you, why you were put here to your highest good. And what I really want for people to feel and to understand and to hear is the things that feel what it feels like to do that and what gets kind of taken care of that you don't realize. And what I mean by that is, cause I can so relate to a lot of parts of your story where it's like you, you're searching, you're searching and you're numbing and you're trying to fill something that feels unfillable and you're never satisfied. And there's never like this peace of mind or anything like that, even down to what you're eating doesn't really satisfy you if you're not doing that. So can you explain what that journey kind of felt like when you realized that actually living into your potential kind of soothes all of these things? Well, you know, I think as I started working on elevating my own consciousness 21 years ago when I just had this profound sort of spirit, well, not sort of a completely profound spiritual experience. Mm -hmm. I always like find myself minimizing, you know, my, my recovery. And just when I was really set free from this insane bondage that I'd experienced for most of my early life, uh, when that happened, I think, you know, I've had different careers and, and different paths that I've followed that were in alignment with my consciousness at that particular time. So, you know, 20 years ago when I was playing in bands and things like that and was just getting into my own spiritual pursuit and getting healthier and starting all these health regimens and different diets and cleansing and detoxing and all that, uh, playing music and going on tour and doing all that was great. And that was fulfilling. And that was the dream for where I was then. And I felt that I was able to make a contribution and do something creative and express some of the gifts that I'd been bestowed with. But then at a certain point in that, I started to mm, have more of an objective point of view on myself. And I was able to see that while I love music and I love creating and I love being with people and sharing art and sharing sound and vibration and all of those things that playing music encompasses, that there was a huge amount of ego and overcompensation for self-consciousness in there. And as I started to get to know myself, I found like, huh, you know what? I don't really actually like playing in a band. I love music, but a lot of why I'm playing in a band is just to tell people I play in a band. Mm. And there was a lot of ego gratification and a lot of ego feeding in that. I'm just, I'm really not like a diehard cut, you know, um, what do they call that? Diet in the wool 
um, musician. You know, I mean, I play here and there. I've got a marginal talent, I think, if I apply myself. But that was like the first stage. So I would have said at that point when I was 30 years old, oh, I'm living my ultimate purpose now. I have a day job uh, working as a, an assistant fashion stylist. And at night I play music and that was the purpose. And then I sort of, after a few years, fell out of the music thing because I started to see that the motive for doing it wasn't just purely out of the passion for playing music. Mm. And then as I were, it, you know, and it's another thing too, I've really looked at this. It's like, well, why wasn't I more successful in music? And I think that I had in that particular case, at least in the beginning, I had a ton of passion and dedication and devotion for, you know, 15 years I did that. But I don't know that I had talent that matched my passion and I'm not being self-deprecating. I mean, I'm just, I'm okay, but I'm, I'm not like an exceptional musician, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm, and I'm totally cool with that. I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm able to play and enjoy myself. I still play right. music for fun on Instagram and people are like, oh my God, you're amazing. I go, oh, whatever. I'm glad you enjoyed it. It's just a hobby. And then I got into being a fashion stylist, which was so weird. I mean, that story in and of itself is just so, um, it's so interesting because I, I had dated this woman when I moved to Hollywood when I was 19 and she was a fashion stylist from New York. This is like in 89, right? Mm-hmm. And I, and we of course broke up cause I was a fucking train wreck and who would put <laughs> up who, you know, she was 10 years older than me. I mean, it was like, mm-hmm. I don't know how she even put up with me for the year we were together, or whatever. She moves back to New York. We stay in touch just, you know, back then I think it was like writing letters, you know, <laughs> whatever. And uh, there's <laughs> totally. all, you know, you got out a piece of paper and a pen and you had oh to put it in an envelope. Yep. But, you know, we, we stayed in touch and I mean, there was a, some degree of care between us there. You know, we had cared about each other. So we stayed in touch. And then when I got sober, I reached out to her and was like, hey, you know, I just want to let you know I'm sober now. And you may not have known this, but I was a drug addict. She was like, no shit, Sherlock, everyone <laughs> in the world except you knew that. But anyway, long story short, she hires me because uh, I'm house sitting for her in Koreatown because I was homeless when I got sober, of course. And uh, so as house sitting for her, by default, I become her assistant style, you know, assistant to her styling career. And then she books Aerosmith as a client. Mm. And then here I am like hanging out with sober Steven Tyler in 1997, 98, whenever it was. And that led into a career in fashion because once I had those credentials and it, it opened a lot of doors for me and I started working for a number of other stylists and then eventually on my own. But in, in living my purpose at that point, I would have said, oh, this is my purpose to like help other musicians look great and be successful. But that was one of those things where I think I had a natural um, knack for it. But I was, even though I did it for 17 years, it sounds funny. I don't know that I was ever really passionate about it. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't live and breathe fashion. I didn't, I don't know, like I don't want to offend anyone or be stereotypical, but it's it's like I didn't grow up playing with dolls. I didn't have sisters. I'm like a super like hetero dude that like is just not into going to fashion week and reading Vogue magazine and shit like that. Not to say that a hetero guy can't be great at fashion or be a designer or stylist or whatever, but it wasn't really my calling. It wasn't something that I planned on doing. I didn't have a passion for it, but I just fell into it. So fast forwarding to now... You know, and if, and then I st- well, I started my fashion school, and I was really passionate about that because I dropped out of high school when I was eighteen. I have no education, and I started a business in two thousand eight, and it was immediately successful and has been successful ever since. So there was a passion, and like, wow, I'm learning about business and entrepreneurship, and I'm helping tons of kids like get into an industry that that I've been successful in. But in all of those endeavors <clears throat> and leading me up to now, I think there was never really a balance of talent and passion. Is what I'm is what I'm getting to. And when I started doing this, I thought, well, I'm going to record like 15 podcasts 
because that's, you know, just to see if I, if, if I'm well received and if people pick up what I'm dropping, you know? <laughs> and so I put out like 10 podcasts in 10 days and within 30 days I had, I don't know, a number, you know, 15 shows out or something like that. And people just started eating it up and I got so much great feedback that I just kind of took that and ran with it. And I think for me, what has really fed the passion and also fed the success is I made a decision when I first started that almost, it'll be two years ago, June 6th, actually, uh, is that I, I, I debated for about six months how authentic and open and vulnerable I wanted to be as a podcast host and becoming a personality. And at one point I was just like, you know what, what serves, what serves, um, others the most. And I'm not trying to sound like, you know, Mr. Mr. Good guy. I mean, I have my shit, you know, believe me, but it's like, what can I do that's very meaningful and helps the most people? And I found that well, I decided to just kind of just be real and be myself and just reveal some of my demons and some of my ghosts and things that I've struggled with and things that I continue to struggle with. And when I made a concerted effort and when I made a very solid decision that I wanted to be transparent about my past, some of which is I had felt sort of ashamed of and didn't know how to kind of come out about just, you know, the drug history and all that stuff. And when I did my first episode, I told my life story and I don't think I was sensational or anything like that. I mean, I had a certain degree of tact and there was a boundary there in terms of the gory details, but I was open and honest about the life that I've lived and the things that I've overcome. And the response to that, specifically that position and that point of view has been so overwhelmingly positive. And I've literally got hundreds of messages from people that are like, wow, now I'm not afraid to talk about my childhood trauma because you did. Or now I'm not afraid to address my addiction issues or my mental health issues or whatever, because you put it out there. And so to summarize that, I think that I've finally found something in my life and I'm sure, in, you know, it's possible in 10 years I'll be like, yeah, I remember I had a podcast and I thought that was my calling. And, you know, now I'm on this other thing. This is called evolution, but it's really fun to be able to help people now by just sharing who I am so openly and so authentically. And that's not by my own uh, analysis. That's the feedback that I get from people constantly. So I feel that I'm really able to help a lot of people in a meaningful way now. And being in recovery for over 21 years now, I mean, I've figured out the one thing is once you kind of figure any area of your life out and get some help with it, then the, the, the only key to true fulfillment is passing that on to other people and, and living a life of service and devotion to, you know, for me, my own spiritual evolution and my relationship with what I call God, you know, it's a weird word, but I just an easy one for me to rattle off. So I feel like my place in the world right now is to further my own development and raise my own consciousness and just help anyone else that's interested in doing it um, through the means by which I'm doing it that I discover and kind of finding things that work, doing them, finding things that don't work, discarding them and kind of passing that on. So that's where I'm at right now. Mm, and I want to talk about that in just a minute before we get there, just kind of to hear some of your, you know, I was reading some of all of the things that you dabble in, things that you do, the things that you try and the things that you're really open about. And I was like, wow, he's got such a diverse way of really, um, you know, looking for what gives him purpose, what helps him teach, what helps him move through things. So I want to talk about that in a minute. But first, I just want to point out like how beautiful that is just all of the different careers and the different things that you said yes to and the different directions that you went. Because I think so many people, we can get caught up right in thinking that, um, you know, 
the next thing should be our purpose or the next thing should feel a certain way. And I think so often the next thing is another bridge to another bridge to another, you know, it's to another bridge. And it's like, people would look at your life and think that celebrity stylist, well, that has to be his purpose. Like that's such a big career. Like, how did you even get into that? So, you know, can you look back and see how each, and like you said, you'll look back maybe on this podcast and say it was just another chapter, but what were some of the biggest things that you pulled from each stop? Well, I think, you know, in the, in the first part of that, as I was describing in playing music and then just through meditation and just, you know, taking my inventory constantly and uh, building my self-awareness to start to see, you know, I'm on tour in the UK, freezing my ass off in a little van, <laughs> hating, hating my life going like, okay, why am I doing this again? And it's, it's literally at that point, because I had developed some degree of self-honesty at that point. It was like, Hmm, because I have such low self-worth and I have no education. I have no, like I have nothing to stand on in terms of accomplishments in life. I haven't really done anything successfully on the outer plane. So this is a way that I can prop myself up and validate myself to other people by being this guy that dresses really cool and plays in a cool band and does the things, you know? And so that was a huge awakening for me to just sort of ask myself, well, why do I need that title in order to feel valid as a human being? And why do I have so much shame and low self-worth to begin with? And uh, one of my spiritual teachers, you know, I've had many over the years and they've been, they've all been so unassuming and guys that you would never guess are a spiritual teacher of any kind. And, um, and some of them have, you know, fallen from grace even after uh, working with them for a period of time. But one of them said something really interesting to me years ago. He said, Luke, he used to talk a lot about humility and spiritual principles and specifically how humility was so powerful and so important in terms of, you know, just becoming a fully integrated human being. And he said, Luke, have you ever, because this was, you know, we're talking about being famous and successful and playing music and all that. And he said, Luke, have you ever thought about what it would feel like to live your life and end up just being a regular guy. You live in a regular house with a regular family and a regular car and a regular job and just being a normal average person. And he asked me that and I pondered that. And that was one of the most terrifying fates that I could possibly imagine. You know, we all have these, you know, these human needs. And I was recently listening to, I went to a Tony Robbins event and he was talking about the human need for significance, you know, and unfortunately for him, he related it to the Me Too movement and got himself in a big mm. shit storm. But that's what he was really talking about right. is, you know, people, I was there, there was a lot of actually fake news about what he actually did and said, um, just for the record, not defending anyone's position, just <clears throat> it was interesting to see what happened in person and that's yeah, this crazy backlash, but that's not even the point. The point is I had this need for significance and my teacher pointed that out. And then, you know, I said, well, actually, no, that's terrifying to me. And he said, well, that's, that's ego, you know, ego seeks separation and seeks to feel special. So in that first awakening was like, oh, wow, I don't need to do that to feel significant and be significant. Maybe it's not what I do, but who I am. And I got a glimpse of that but still then got caught up in the fashion industry. And it was like, well, God, I actually make a lot more money and I'm a lot more successful dressing rock stars than trying to be one. I mean, after 15 years, I was like, all right, you know, living with five homies in Silver Lake is cute when you're 28, but not when you're 35. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm just not that guy. I like having my own place and a nice car. I like, you know, I, the creature comforts and I wasn't able to achieve those in music, but I was in, in style and I did well. And so 
Uh, and especially when I was into it, it was kind of before the music industry had crashed and it was, it was a good time. So even in that though, moving into the styling, I still had so much ego identification with it because anytime I met someone and they were like, oh, so what do you do? Which is of course in LA, one of the first things certain types of people will ask you. And it was like, oh, I'm a fashion stylist. And then the next question from them is like, oh, who do you work with? Who's your agent? Da, da, da. And I'd be like, oh, it's this person, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, again, found myself, huh, can I just be a regular person? And would I be happy with that? And the answer was no at that point. And then, you know, doing a lot of fast forwarding and of course going through the phase of like, well, yeah, I'm a stylist and I'm an entrepreneur. And I started this amazingly successful independent fashion school. And I actually taught at FITM for a while too, a fashion school out here in LA. And know, did the whole kind of teacher entrepreneur thing. Then at a certain point, it's like, okay, cool. So I'm not what I do. I'm, you know, I'm who I am. And it's more about my character and the contribution I'm making in the world than my success on paper. But then I also have really looked at, well, it seemed like I was designed with a certain personality and my personality is kind of big, you know, and I had to really recontextualize my interpretation of how I interact with ego and that ego is not this evil, sinful, animal nature thing that needs to be shoved in the closet. It's more about how can I integrate my ego and my, my bigness and my personality into my endeavors and my work and my brand and, and everything that I'm representing and actually use those gifts but not be attached to those as my self-worth. And so my self-worth now is more really being built from the inside. But I'm also accepting that it's like, dude, if you, if you have a dinner party people are going to be looking and listening to me a lot and I'm not going to be fucking small anymore. I'm just, I was designed that way. I'm, I'm interesting to people, you know, certain people, not everyone. I'm sure that there's a lot of people that I'm not their flavor, but it's like, I had this thing where, Oh, I have to stay small and be humble. And, and my, my interpretation of humility for a long time of, you know, after working through those different careers and different levels of uh, public persona and visibility and success and all of that is that my de definition of humility now is more just being right size. It's not about staying small uh, and it's not about being big. It's about identifying the things that I've accomplished and my skills and my talents and my gifts and fully expressing those with reckless abandon. But at the same time, keeping my ass in check and knowing that there's always something to work on. You know, there's always another stone to be overturned and look under there. Ooh, what's still hiding in the shadows, you know? And for me, the last year uh, has been about looking at my uh, romantic relationships and sex and just how I handle that whole part of my life. And, and that's, you know, something that has, it's occurred to me last year. I was like, yeah, whatever I do, I don't really like the way I do this thing. I'm not getting the results that I want. <laughs> you know, so I stepped back from that whole thing. It's been like a year now. I haven't dated or anything. Uh, well, not a year, no, 10 months. And so, you know, yeah, I've accomplished a lot and I've done a lot of inner work and I've grown so much and I am bringing a lot of value to the world. But, and I identify that as part of my humility is going like, yeah, I'm badass. I'm a really cool guy. Mm -hmm. And I also have some shit that I need to deal with. Mm. And, and I think that's what keeps, keeps you real to people and keeps you interesting and has been really one of the secrets to my success as a quote unquote brand and personality is that, and I, and I just, I did this sort of by design, but it's also just how I live as I never came from this sort of guru perspective, like, Oh, I've figured it out and I'm going to show you the secret nine steps to being fucking awesome. It's like, <laughs> I, you know what I mean? 
it's like from the, from my first podcast, I was like, hey, you guys, I'm on this journey, you know, ride shotgun with me and we're going to discover how to build the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. And so like, I'm going with the quote unquote audience rather than being in some place where I've arrived. And, um, and I find that keeps me really engaged and interesting because I learn, you know, I stay very teachable and I learn things from people that listen to my show. And I think my podcast even has been successful, Lori, because I'm so obsessed with the people I interview. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm like fanboy, you know, I mean, some of them, you know, maybe I just found out about it and then I study up and I become a fanboy. But when I sit down with someone to interview them, like I'm obsessed with them. And I really deeply want to know the answers to the questions that I have for them. And I formulated those questions out of my own personal passion for their body of knowledge, expertise, and wisdom. So it's like that acceptance of owning that I have worked my ass off and that I've learned a lot, but there's also plenty left to learn. Mm. I. I don't even know which rabbit hole to go down right now because there's so many good ones. Uh, <laughs> I'm just like, I kept having questions every time. I'm like, no, Lori, listen, just keep listening. <laughs> I have, you know what, when I, when I interview people, I have the same thing. And I, I always mean to like keep a little notebook and take notes because I don't want to lose the, especially in person, I don't want to lose the oh. eye contact and the engagement. But I'm like, it's so hard for me not to interrupt my guests because there's so many offshoots when they go on a good little, you know, six to eight minute tangent like that. Uh, there are so many things to dive into. So I know the feeling. I actually have an, an emoji I've been sending to people. It's it's the little um, like manhole. It's like a little hole that would be like in the street and then the rabbit next to it. You know, yep. <laughs> like anytime I send someone a cool link, I'm like rabbit hole, rabbit hole. Especially like, when you love rabbit holes too. And you have someone that you yeah. know you could go down them with and you're just like, Oh God, okay. This is okay. Bring it back sister. All right. So what I, uh, what I want to say is just, you know, the more and more that I have interviewed people, what I'm learning is, and I do the same exact thing myself, is just you take where you're at and you kind of assess where you are. And also, like you said, you you are always looking for what else there is or what else you can improve on or how you can really start looking at something differently. But also, what is that that you um, kind of you know how you said you, you look at your life and you kind of know what to work on or you know what you're working on. So how do you do that? From so many people I talk to, they kind of make it a game. They're like, okay, here I am right now. Like, how could I implement more of myself into the work that I'm in right now? Even if it's work that I don't love, how does that actually look on a day-to-day, hour-to-hour basis when you're trying to move through something or really learn to show more of yourself while being humble, while being fully you? Well, the first thing I think that I'd add as a caveat to the the bit that I just um, dropped a few minutes ago is that I'm also at the same time, while I say there's always something that I need to work on, I'm also getting uh, much more of a sense for myself that I'm actually perfect the way I am, you know, and it's not like, oh, here's another broken piece of me that needs to be fixed. It's, it's more of uh, the point of view is more about expanding. So it's like, where are the areas where I'm still contracted and protecting myself and, and playing small or, or playing safe or making decisions that are motivated by my lower nature rather than my, my higher self and things like that. But I've also had to kind of get to a point where it's like, Luke, you're not broken. Stop like, stop trying to fix yourself. Cause I've really done a lot of that. And then the other side of that on sort of the shadow side of work, quote unquote, working on yourself is that you're broken and that 
there's ever this illusion that there's ever going to be a point at which you arrive and now you're fixed and you're enlightened and everything's just, you know, unicorns and rainbows from that point on. So it's like the constant obsession with fixing one's self, my case in, in this particular instance, is that it becomes very narcissistic. And I'm like, um, you know, it's always thinking about me. So it's sort of like that, the side of, you know, oh, I'm the best person in the world. Like that side of ego that's grandiose and arrogant is just the flip side of the one that says, oh, I'm still a loser. I'm, I'm still making mistakes. I'm the worst person in the world. They're all self-centered, self-obsessed points of view. So for me, I'm really working a lot on my affirmations and just loving and accepting myself in all my goofiness, you know, at this point in my evolution. So when I say there's like something new to work on, it's like, it's just expanding. And so how I determine sort of what there is to work on and then start to look for teachers and teachings and solutions um, and ways by which I can expand and move past those areas that I'm stuck in, it usually comes to me from uh, abject pain. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. if I need a signpost, it's like, it's a breakup. Okay. Wow. This sucks. I did this again. Okay. Whoa. You know, we need to like stop the train, hop off at this stop, let the train keep going. Let's stay here and like really dig in and, mm-hmm. and take a look at, at these issues. So most of my life and most of my work and the things that I'm doing are more so now leaning on the side of the pursuit of pleasure. Like, wow, I feel amazing. I have the most beautiful people in my life and my relationships are harmonious. I'm making money. Things are going well. And let me just celebrate that and keep that going and be grateful for that. But then there are also those things that come up, those roadblocks that I just every, I don't know, every couple of years I get sideswiped by something. And I'm just like, holy shit, are you serious? And then I get a book or this or that and I go, oh, I have this other thing that I didn't know I had, you know, Mm -hmm. this other offshoot neurosis or issue or whatever uh, that it is that needs to be worked out. You know, like I said, right now, it's I'm just reassessing a lot of erroneous ideas that I've held about relationship and intimacy and monogamy and family and all of those things, because I didn't know what I find now. And I'm not I'm not casting the blame on anyone, but it's just a natural consequence of my environment when I grew up and my really family lineage is I didn't have a model of what a true partnership looks like and a harmonious romantic relationship and commitment and all of those things looks like. I mean, I've seen very few of those modeled throughout my whole life, not just my childhood. I mean, I can count on one hand the number of people I know that are in healthy, meaningful uh, mutually beneficial relationships right now. And, and trust me, those are the people that I go to for advice, the elders, you know, the older guys I know that are happily married and are doing it right, you know. But uh, I would have never stopped to look at that particular area of my life had it been going well. You know, the areas of my life that are going well now, there's no need to stop and look at it. I just keep doing what I'm doing and I keep refining what's working and just kind of fine tuning the processes or the areas of my life, you know? So, uh, I think that's kind of the case for me is mostly motivated by just like, wow, I feel amazing. How can I even take this nine to a 10? And then there's those punctuated moments in life where it's like, shit, this hurts. How do I fix this? Uh, so you talk so much about where you're at right now. And I, I also love talking to podcasters, especially because I think that we are just like reporting. Like, I think we're just life reporters of what's going, like what's going on for me right now and what's interesting. Um, so you are in this mode of kind of looking at your relationships. So as far as, you know, life kind of becomes our practice, but what happens if you are not 
in a relationship? How can you actually practice being in a relationship if you are not in one? So what are you doing right now? <laughs> oh, that's so good. You know, it's so funny. I, I, I called my, my spiritual guide, a man named Jeff Kober, who's a, he's an actor out here in LA, but he's a meditation teacher. He taught me how to meditate a few years ago. And he's the guy I call when I'm like, okay, I'm lost in the woods. I can't find my way out. Like, where's the, the fucking lighthouse here? And he's my lighthouse. And I called him yesterday and I, you know, things have been going smoothly for me, um, in all areas of my life really lately. Um, it's one of those calm periods where I'm progressing and things are going well. So I called him to kind of check in and I said, wow, I feel great. You know, I haven't dated in 10 months. I don't have sex with anyone. It's just so simple and amazing. Uh, I'm just going to keep this up for a while and, and I'm learning how to be in relationship or something like that. And he was like, hmm, that's interesting. He said, well, Luke, uh, I hate to break it to you, but the only way you're going to learn about having a healthy, meaningful, intimate, fulfilling relationship is by being in one, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and I, you know, and I get that and I'm obviously aware of that. Um, so it's not so much that I'm, you know, learning how to be in a relationship. What I'm doing is really unlearning ideas that I had about it before. And so I'm in this process of really getting comfortable being on my own in solitude and not having the distractions of dating apps and social media and going out and all of that stuff. Uh, it's, it's, it's not like I think that I'm going to learn about you know, how you be intimate with someone by not engaging with people on a romantic level. It's just I really want to feel clear about who I am and what I have to offer. And every day that goes by, I become more clear on, you know, I don't know how to say this without sounding like a tool, but I'm, I'm really owning like how much I'm willing to contribute and how far I'm willing to go in terms of just offering of myself and my time and my commitment and dedication and loyalty and integrity and love and all of those things and getting very clear about my value as it pertains to a relationship, A, and B, my non-negotiables in terms of what I expect from the partner in return. So I'm understanding my non-negotiables like, hey, this is what I have to offer to feel good about what I'm contributing. And also um, getting very clear about the things that I'm willing to bend on and the things that I'm not willing to bend on and uh, rising my own sort of consciousness to the level that I think is required to be an energetic match for the type of partner that I would like in my life. So I'm not learning how to have a relationship uh, with someone else. I'm learning how to have a relationship with myself for the first time really in my life. And I am, I, yeah, and I imagine within, I don't, I, you know, you said, wow, I'm a sensing that made sense on some mm -hmm. level. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, and of course I know I'm going to think now I'm ready. Now I got it down and I'm going to go out there and do my thing and start dating and probably stumble a few times and, you know. Uh, and then have to learn and get in relationship and then learn about the actual relationship. But I, it's sort of like, it's like getting myself in shape for a triathlon is not the triathlon. I realized that the triathlon is coming once, you know, they, they fire the gun. Uh, but I'm definitely getting the soil tilled for something special, you know? So it's a, a really neat time. I and mean, it was terrifying the first couple of few months. I mean, it was just so uncomfortable cutting off that part of my life. And then I had to realize how much of that was actually just sort of a distraction a lot of the time too, and not uh, necessarily meaningful. Mm. 
So I'm so I so I'm running parallel with this, but with friendships, believe it or not, because I totally I'm, yeah. You know, I've been married to my husband for eleven or twelve years. I don't know. We've been together like sixteen, but married. I think, wow! I know. I'm going to call you guys. I'm going to call you guys for some counseling soon. <laughs> so, but That's so but great. He, it's so beautiful because everything that you just said actually applies to friendships. Because what happens is when I, you're in a, like my, my marriage, we have just decided like, we're always practicing, right? Like we've just decided to be fully committed to practicing together as long as we possibly can until we either can't or until we're dead. So it's just kind of like this, okay, are we agreeing to always be practicing and learning and talking about what went wrong and what went right? Um, so, I mean, there's a daily conversation, if not 10, cause we work together as well. So there's constantly, I even call them like a ton of little matches compared to like a forest fire. So we're constantly like, Oh, there's a little fire. Let's talk about it. Um, so there's that, but then the female relationships in my life. So I actually just wrote a book on tribe that actually I'm in book launch right now. It comes out next week, but everything you're saying was like the same thing for me with female friendships, because I told myself a story, like I was better off alone growing up. Um, and you know, females had hurt me or I had like just totally had a high expectation or I disappointed them or they disappointed me. So now it's this point in my life where I'm committing, like it's been the last four years of working so hard on what does a good female friendship and relationships look like. Cause I wanted that support so bad, but I didn't know how to be, I didn't know how to show up. I didn't know how to support them. Um, you know, in turn, they didn't know how to support me and I was also not letting them in fully. So what you said, I was just like, Oh my God, this is so could so be applied to just any relationship in general. So, and I have to practice having a friend when I have a friend, but also when I don't have a friend, how willing am I to show up for them? What am I willing to commit to? Like how all in am I going to go to have the type of support that I want? Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. And, and listen, there's only one major difference between a friendship and a partner, and that is genitals. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It's like, they're all just relationships. And what's funny is, you know, I mean, I, I, I break down in, in tears of gratitude on a regular basis when I just, cause I do a lot of gratitude work and I'll stop and think about the, you know, a couple female friends, but you know, my primary group, my four to five road dogs are guys. And I'll just sit and think about them and what beautiful, amazing men they are. And just, I mean, they're just, they are such stellar human beings and our relationships are so integrous and so based on mutual giving and mutual receiving. And they're so fair and they're so open and they're very intimate and supportive. And I don't know, I figured that shit out. You know what I mean? It's like, (laughs) I'm good. And I, you know, and I really don't, you know, I've lived in LA almost 30 years. I know a lot of people and have been in all these industries and stuff as we've discussed. So yeah, I've got a cell phone full of acquaintances. Um, but I have, you know, five, six people in my life that would push me around in a wheelchair the rest of my days. You know what I mean? Like real ride or die. And I think for me, the interesting thing is in the difference, as I kind of jokingly said, the the difference being that there's, you know, a sexual relationship involved, hopefully at least in a, in a romantic exchange is that I've never formed a relationship in my life. Well, actually that's not true. Once I did one relationship, we built that friendship bond first. And, and that, trust was established and that intimacy was established at least, you know, to whatever degree we were both capable of building the intimacy at that given time, which 
in retrospect on my part, wasn't very much, but it was a lot for that time. But it's like, I look at my guy friends and I'm like, these all work so well. The communication's there. If issues come up, they get resolved. I mean, everyone's so respectful and it's just wonderful. And, uh, but I've had to let a lot go. I mean, this has taken me many years to, of course, establish those. And there have been some that were great for a while. And then you, you know, you're not in alignment anymore and those kind of fade away. But it's funny just looking at that. I go, well, I know how to have a good relationship with someone. So I definitely have it in my DNA. It's just a matter of how do, how do I transfer that into one that is more, you know, romantic partnership that has those same inherent foundational sturdy qualities that my other relationships have and even relationships within my family. I mean, they're just, they're really, really solid. And there's just, you know, if there's bugs that pop up, they get resolved very quickly. And there's just a lot of love and a lot of support. So I I sort of have the blueprint. It's just a matter of kind of, you know, learning how to apply that and and perhaps enter into things in a way where that is more uh, the foundation and is, is, what you do first instead of just all the fun times and excitement and chemistry and sex and all that. It seems like the formula might be a little off based on my past track record. God, that could be a whole other hour. So we'll just, that'll be another relationships hour or five. Right? Hey, listen, we'll do another one in a year. We can check in and see if I've, you know, how, how I'm doing or whatever. But I'm, I'm so impressed by people that have been in a relationship like you for 16 years. I'm just, that's fascinating to me. And uh, there must just be so many rich lessons and experiences oh, in that. <laughs> there is. Yeah. Honestly, it's what we, so Chris and I get, when we get asked to go on podcasts a lot as a couple. Um, and it's just, I think it's really, I, and I learn about him every time too. I'm like, wait, what? You feel that way? <laughs> like, where are you, so, where do you guys live, Lori? We live in Santa Monica. Oh, are you serious? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dude, once I get, once I get through this next, I have like three months worth of shows in the can or something. It'd be really fun to interview both of you on my show. If you'd be willing, we oh, could God, do we're always willing. That would be cool. I didn't even realize you were here in town. Yeah, that'd be great. We could get together and 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 maybe do a you know a relationship episode. It's something that I've done a couple on them, but not with a couple. You know what I mean? Mm, yes. It's, no, we would love it. We also love it because we work together. So that adds this whole other layer. And it's just, it's I, our whole purpose on this planet is especially together. We believe we were put together to help show people what it really looks like. So kind of how like you love to do your podcast. We love to share the inner workings of what it actually, what actually happens in the language you have to learn. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, I can't wait for that. I'm excited. (laughs) Yes, that will be awesome. And clearly I could talk to you all day. So we're going to do a sequel. Um, But before we do that, I just want everybody to be able to find you, follow you. I know that you have a podcast listener for life in me because it's just, there's so many good stories and so much wisdom there. Um, So where can we listen to your podcast and what else is exciting for you right now? Sure. My podcast is called The Life Stylist. Three words, The Life Stylist. And it's of course on iTunes and Spotify and all places, hopefully where podcasts are held. And then my main website is lukestory.com. And that's kind of the mothership where I keep all of the content and things like that. I have a great like supplement store where I, I don't sell anything. I just like link out to all the the raddest stuff that I've found in all my biohacking adventures. And then uh, in terms of social media, I think the one that I'm most active on is Instagram. And that's at lukestory with an S-T-O-R-E-Y. And uh, my Instagram, I think, is where you find, especially the stories and the live feeds is where you find the 
the most uh, down and dirty realness, you know, because I know that they're going to disappear in 24 hours and someone would have to like, someone would have to record someone else's phone and like document the shit. So I kind of, I have um, I have reckless abandon on my Instagram. And some, I, actually, it's funny. I thought of earlier when you're like, oh, if people only knew what the back end work looks like on a podcast, something that I really like doing on Instagram live is I'll actually like sit in my studio and do all my bumpers and ads and all the really annoying shit involved in my podcast production. And I'll live stream that so people can just sit here and watch Mr. Zen, like meditator freak the fuck out <laughs> on the mic. That's you know, amazing. I, yeah, I have these like tempered tantrums and it's just, I just act a fool and it's, it's an exercise in being vulnerable and being seen, which is really important in my own growth. So yeah, those are kind of the three things, the podcast, the website and Insta, I'd say. Mm, amazing. And I always end on one final question. Are you ready? Absolutely. Okay. So it's cliche, but you are in an elevator with someone and you have a really short ride and it's only like 30 seconds and it's a total stranger and they look over at you and ask, how can I make myself happy? What would you say? I would say first, don't believe everything that you think. And next, build a relationship with whatever it is that makes your heart beat all day, every day. Thanks for listening to this special bonus episode of the Lifestylist Podcast via the Earn Your Happy Podcast with Lori Harder. I hope you enjoyed the show. And I want to invite you to come join me at Attune in Georgia on November 8th, 9th, and 10th. I'm going to be the official podcaster at the event. I'll be hanging out, running around, meeting listeners like you. So uh, go to lukestory.com forward slash events and get your ticket. If you use the code Luke5, you save 5% off. That's lukestory.com forward slash events for a tune outside of Atlanta, Georgia, November 8th, 9th, and 10th. It's going to be incredible. Joe Dispenza is going to be there. Gabby Bernstein, Shaman Durek, Sahara Rose, uh, Light Watkins, tons of past uh, Lifestylist podcast guests will be there. And uh, it's going to be a real hoot. So I hope to see you guys there. I'll also be speaking at Mercado Sagrado in Malibu, California, October 16th and 17th. So get yourself over to lukestory.com forward slash events, and I will be seeing you very soon. This episode of the Lifestylist podcast was produced by podcastmasters.net.